You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word then to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. We're continuing our series now that we've been in this fall called Come and Belong as we've been looking at these one another's uh, in the New Testament that are to define us as Christians and to define uh, the community, this uncommon community, our church as believers. And these are characteristics that are really distinct from the way in which our world lives. They're what set us apart and they are a magnitude into the community for a lost and dying world living by a very different ethic, living by very different means in this uh, life. And this, uh, this uh, one another this morning uh, may really seem uh, so obvious that we don't have to talk about it the command to pray for one another. And, and yet I think we need to continually recalibrate our hearts to recalibrate our minds, to recalibrate our activities that we give prayer the priority it requires. I think we all in here would accept that we should pray. Does anybody reject that notion? That we should pray. Hopefully there's no arguments. And and so we're going to look at Ephesians 3 that is going to teach us how to pray. But uh, I I just want to kind of put before us here the the New Testament's teaching on prayer for us. Because we've heard uh, this or hopefully you're familiar with it. But we're we're, we're to pray without ceasing. right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 an activity that's not just that we uh, have this like running dialogue of prayer, but in everything, in all circumstances, we should be praying. As you read through the book of Acts, it seems like in every episode, every chapter, the people are there praying for some reasons. Where Paul tells the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 6.18 that they're to pray for everyone all the time. Look at this, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, saints being Christians. Notice what he's saying, just praying at all times, making our requests or supplication, alert in it, persevering in it for everyone. We're to make prayer a priority. Paul also tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, he says, first of all, it's a priority. First of all, then I urge... He compelling them. This is of utmost importance. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He's just covering all the bases there. Supplications are the requests that we make to the Lord. Prayers are those general things that we pray. Intercessions are the prayers that we pray for others or other situations. And thanksgiving, I think we uh, understand, uh, grateful to the Lord. This is to be made for all people. It's interesting as he goes on. The next verse is where to especially pray for governing authorities. It's just by like a side note. When's the last time you prayed for those that are elected officials over us? And to pray for salvation, he'll go along saying these. And then in verse 8 of that chapter, this is just extemporaneous, but he's like, this is what should characterize the men. I want the men in the church to pray, that we'd be praying people. But also just a few weeks ago, last week we looked at the command to forgive one another. 
And the week before that, to confess our sin to one another from James 5.16. And remember the connection from confession to prayer. You remember, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And we saw the connection there that as I uh, uh, disclose my sin where God is working on me, as I disclose it to you, I'm not to, uh, the other person is not to gossip. It's not to, so we think all high and mighty about ourselves. Like, oh, I can't believe that that person would do that. I'd never do that. Nor to cast them out but rather to pray for that person. We are to pray for one another. And that's why I think from these verses and the teaching of the New Testament, we can make the case for this central truth, that prayer is the lifeline of our uncommon community. Write that down in your notes. Write it down in the margins of your Bible if you need to so you don't forget it. But here is the, uh, the, the premise of this morning is that prayer is our lifeline. Our connection back to the Lord here. It, it's how we, uh, how we keep going in the Ephesians 6. The armor of God, and we have all the different pieces that we put on. It refers to prayer there really as the radio, as, the, as our connection back to headquarters. See, it's how we communicate with God. But see, sometimes I think the, where we get hung up is that we don't fully grasp how it works or what we should say. And that's why I want us to look at Ephesians 3 this morning. Because it's going to demonstrate for us how to pray for one another. This is a a church that Paul had ministered there in Ephesus for numerous years. And this was one of his prayer for these people that he loved dearly. That he had walked through life with. And so what I want to do is I want to preach through these verses. And then we're going to take some time at the close to pray through these verses together. So hopefully you found Ephesians there in the middle of your New Testament. Let me read our verses, and then we will look at them more closely. Here's what it says. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now this is God's word for God's people. It's a pretty powerful prayer, right? I love it because it's nice and succinct and short. It's not long and, and, and flowing and eloquent in language, really. It's just, it's kind of a run-on sentence, but full of great power, teaching us how we can pray these uh, biblically robust prayers back to the Lord according to the will of God, effectively praying uh, to the Lord. And that really maybe is the question this morning. How do we pray according to the will of God? How do we pray these effective, powerful prayers for one another? 
And I think that's what, as we, you know, examine this, uh, these verses here, this text before us, I think it'll teach us how to do that and give us really five categories in which we can pray effective prayers for one another. You see them already written out in your notes, and so uh, they're, they're helpful for you. And so maybe you can uh, just write in the notes alongside it or your own prayers as you're thinking about people and praying within these categories. See, what we get in the verse here is Paul is teaching us that effective prayers are prayers that we are asking God, unite us in Christ. Unite us in Christ. That's the first effective prayer. Look at verses 14 and 15 for a second. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what's really funny, this is also just as you, if you're familiar with Ephesians here, it's Paul actually coming back to this for this reason here. He actually, if you look just up in your Bible in verse one of chapter three, it says for this reason. And then he goes on this whole like diatribe and he like gets sidetracked. I love like Paul, he's, you know, dwelt by the Holy Spirit as he's writing this down, inspired to do it. And he like goes on this whole little thing and he has to come back to the reason. What is the reason that he is bowing his knees in prayer to the Father? Well, it's in the context of reconciliation. It's in the context of uh, of chapter 2 where uh, man has been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We who were dead in our sins, but God sent Christ out of love for us to die for us that we might be saved or reconciled to God. For this reason, because of the gospel that not only reconciled us as humans to God, but also humans one to another... That's what the rest of chapter 2 is on. He's he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles now united in Christ within this body of Christ here. It's the whole household. We who were once aliens or strangers who didn't know each other and as a matter of fact hated God and hated one another. God is now gathered together in this family, in this community for his worship. That's the reason he's praying thinking about the wisdom of God, the kindness of God, thinking about our salvation. He is now humbled to a place of prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. See, as we're praying for unity, unity is born out of a heart of humility. As you're praying for unity in marriages, unity amongst your small group, unity in the church, It cannot happen apart from the humility of God's people. This is as we're praying, as as there's dissension or or division in the marriage, or we can't see eye to eye, it has to come from a heart of humility. And this is even just born out in Paul's uh, posture of prayer as he's on his knees pleading with the Lord, begging God to move and to act. Under, united and humbled under this Father in heaven, bowing his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. See, you have to love this familial language that is, is just infuses uh, all of Paul's writing, but especially this prayer here that he uses this really to define the church, to define the, the community of God's people more than uh, uh, just a club, more than just an association, more than just a gathering of strangers to come hear some random guy talk on a Sunday. The church is, is, is a family. I don't know about your family, but I think a a good, healthy family has both privileges and responsibilities. 
Those of you that have gone through the membership process with us, you've heard my spiel on all this. The church is a family, and it comes with responsibility to serve one another, to use our gifts and, and, and our talents to serve uh, uh, the people and to, to use uh, uh, these things as, a, uh, as an open door to the gospel. But it also comes with privilege to be cared for by the elders, to be cared for by the community, to, to receive what the church is, uh, 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 the ministries of the church in this way. And it is a family under God as our Father, Christ the Son as the, as the, as the, the, the firstborn amongst us. And this is, this, it, it should evoke this unity. Like these are the people that we love, that Christ has died for to bring us into the family, to unite us in him. Isn't it so interesting that the last recorded really lengthy prayer of Jesus in John 17 is one of unity. And we use this often, you know, people use this to say, like, to, to unite the big C church and, and, and churches and communities, which is, isn't necessarily wrong. But I think the more direct application is the unity that exists here within the church amongst us uh, and, 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 and amongst God's people here. And the question is, are we praying towards this? Are we praying and working towards maintaining the unity that exists amongst us? Asking God to do it and, ask, and, and doing our part to see that it's maintained. Like, I love this in chapter 4 because he picks this back up. Just look at chapter 4 so you see the context of it as well. In verse, verse 1, he prays this prayer. And then Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? He's saying, live a godly life. Live in accordance to the salvation that you've been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Like, there's some more characteristics to define us, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. We've seen all these things in love. And then verse 3, eager to maintain or to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, note this, church. Note this. At our salvation in Christ, we are already, we come from a starting place of unity. But it is our sin that, 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 that messes that all up, right? And so as we walk in this way, as we're praying this way, we are eager to maintain it lest our sin mess it up or the enemy come in and want to divide us even further. Or the enemy, he, he loves to do that, doesn't he? He loves to deceive. He loves to divide. He loves to destroy. It's what defines our culture. Everything in media is just about what we divide on, how we see things differently, on the destruction of people's selves or their own bodies or, 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 or nations or ideals. It's, it, it's what defines us. But we in the church are different. We come from a starting place of unity and we pray towards this. As we pray for our marriages, as we pray for our small group, as we pray for this church family, pray that we unite around Christ, His worship, His mission, His glory. Not We don't unite around sports or stages of life or colors of skin or the amount of money we make or who we vote for. But I love that two people can sit in here in the morning worshiping Christ, yelling at the top of their lungs, and later that afternoon they can sit in the same living room and one can root for the Packers and one can root for the Cowboys and still come back together worshiping Christ afterwards. See, the, I love it that there are folks in this room here, folks from Virginia and Oklahoma and Wyoming and Wisconsin and Costa Rica and California and Alabama and Texas, and we can all join our voices in praise to God. See, it's a prayer 
and effective prayers. We pray for one another. Unite us, Lord, in Christ. There's a second effective prayer. As the text goes on here, the prayer to strengthen us through his spirit. Strengthen us through the spirit. Look at what he says in verse 16. It's it's like a run-on sentence. So we're praying for this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's praying out of the, uh, that this, this strength comes from outside of us. It's according to the riches of his glory. In the same way we saw in, in Colossians chapter one, right? According to his his glorious might that we might be strengthened with all power. And see, as we're praying this for one another, God strengthen us. What it is first is an admission of our weakness. We don't have the strength to continue on. We don't have the wisdom to move forward. We don't have the whatever we need to go forward. God, we need your strength according to the riches of your glory, your wisdom. We need your presence here. We don't like to admit our weakness, do we? But we must if we're to gain the kind of power that we're praying for here in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we are praying for. So the kind of strength that really matters, because he's not talking about this like, you know, this physical strength to lift weights or anything. What kind of strength is he talking about here? With power through his spirit in your physical body, as it say at the verse, end of verse 16, in your inner being, the, the, the inner man, the inner woman's strength, that resolve, that confidence that comes in Christ, that, that confidence that we need to remain steadfast in the faith, to keep going and persevering no matter what. It's, it's that fortitude to keep going and not quit when faith is hard, when the commands of Christ are, 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 are seemingly too much where the cost is too high, or where you feel alone and isolated like nobody else wants to follow Jesus but you. It's these types of prayers that we pray for one another. God, strengthen him in his inner man. And this isn't unique to Paul. He prays the same thing. Like I said, in Colossians, David prays these same prayers in the Old Testament. Look at the Psalm 38, oh, 138 for just a minute. It taps into the same dynamic. Look at the same language here as it's, uh, 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 as it's here. He says, I bow down towards your holy temple. What's that saying? I'm bowing down. He's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer of, of humility. I bow down towards your holy temple, not because he's worshiping the building, but God's presence that is there. And give thanks to your name. For your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name, the name of Christ, exalted above every name, and your word, that which he speaks, that which we have recorded here in the Bible. On the day I called, what's he referring to there? On the day he prays, you answered me, and my strength of soul you increased. Same dynamic. The strengthening of soul here. The, 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 the type of resolve that we need as we pray for one another, as God's Spirit does this work in our hearts to keep us moving forward, even if they're just baby steps, even if it's crawling, God, would you give us the soul strength that we need? And do you see the difference in praying like this? Not just, God, make them strong, or even, you know, uh, encouraging one, man, you are so strong through this. 
It's not just a praying like God help them to grin and bear it. But that God, out of his great mercy, out of his joy, out of his glory, would give us the kind of strength that only God can give. A kind of joyful endurance in Christ as we continue on in this life. Their prayers, their, their prayers like this, God, my sister is battling cancer. Give her your strength in her inner woman to keep her going through these treatments that she would have a joy that is found only in Christ and not in her circumstances. Their prayers like this, God, my brother is battling this temptation. Give him your strength to say no, to take the way of escape and to flee to Christ. God, my sister is is, is struggling. Motherhood is hard. Give her your strength to disciple her kids with joy. Help her to see these as opportunities for discipleship, not as obstacles to her happiness. There's a type of soul strength that we pray that God loves to answer. But it's not the end of the prayer, is it? Because here's a third effective prayer that we pray. God, root us in love. You see, as it's continue on, another run on like part of the sentence, so that because of all these things that we have strength, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend all of its dimensions. In other words, I love this here. Don't confuse this first phrase in, in verse 17 with like asking Jesus into your hearts, Right? That he may come and dwell in your hearts, though we should definitely ask him, God, come and dwell in me. But the reality is, as we're praying this, that God comes into our fixer upper hearts. He finds a shanty that is uninhabitable, falling to pieces. And through our life, he works to transform it into a mansion fit for glory. How does he do that? By building it upon the foundation of his love. And over time, we grow in our understanding, we grow in our experience, we grow in our affection for the Lord. So often, we want the overnight transformation that we see on TV shows, right? We just want God to do this. We're like, hey, Chip and Joanna can do it in an hour. Why can't you, Lord? Right? And yet God in his wisdom, God in his mercy, God who is outside of time is just patiently, a daily, moment by moment, every episode of our life, rooting us and grounding us there in his love, faithfully reminding us that as we are his, yet he loves us still. Even when it makes no sense why God would love you despite you. Often we love this. Sometimes we, we don't. Sometimes we're complain- we love to complain about the paint colors. Feel the pain. He's knocking out walls and moving things around and doing the demo work or rearranging furniture. But all of it is a part of his incomprehensible love. Built on the foundation of what matters most. His love for us. A love that roots us and grounds us in and through everything. So we've already talked about this several weeks ago in the command to love one another. Love is the central activity that we do that defines us. Why? Because it is the central thing of what Christ has done for us to save us. Love is the, is the soil upon which everything good grows in this world and especially in our uncommon community. 
It's upon love that is the foundation that this household of faith is built upon. And so we pray this for one another. God, root them in your love. Make them understand it just a little bit more in this situation. Help them to grasp uh, uh, just a, a bit more in this thing. Uh, help them to abide in your love. I think this is what Jesus is getting at in John 15 as he invites us in. He, he, as he, says, he, he gives this command here to abide in me, but also to abide in his love. Right? John 15 verse 9. It's on the screen here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we experience this? How are we rooted in it? How, do we, how can we know, as the text says, how can we know something that is ultimately unknowable? Something that surpasses our ability to comprehend, our ability to put down on paper, our, 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 our ability to systematize and write it all down. Well, we experience it. We know what is unknowable by doing his commands. The next verse in John 15, 9, we love that, abide in me, abide in my love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Christ did this. He's compelling us towards this. We want to know the love of God. How do we do that? By keeping His commandments. You do the things that love does and you will feel the things that love does. You will know what it means to uh, uh, and, uh, and grow in your understanding of His love for us. You will begin to see things as you follow His commands. You'll see God's protecting love for you as you flee temptation and avoid sin. You will see God's generous love towards you to fill you up as you serve others when you feel like you have no, nothing else to do. You'll see the wisdom of his ways even when it is entirely countercultural. It doesn't always make sense, and that's the point of praying this way. It surpasses our understanding. We can't fully comprehend how it all works all the time. Maybe this is what keeps us from following Jesus sometimes. Like, well, I can't understand it. That's too hard. The cost is too great. I just don't understand how this is going to work. Especially when it comes to things like what we saw last week, when we're compelled to forgive one another. It's like, I just don't understand how this works. I don't know that I can do it. Well, let me just encourage you to make an appeal to you. How about you just go for it and see how the Lord works it all out? Maybe you will understand it more as you follow him in faith and he will root you, ground you in love as you follow the wisdom of his ways. See, we are forever and always learning more about and leaning into his love. It's infinite. We will forever. It's not just something that when we graduate to heaven that now we finally fully understand all the enormity of God's love. But no, for eternity, we will be forever learning more about and leaning into his love. And so as we're praying for one another in this way, we're praying, God, do this heart work in them. Cause them to see this. Give them the under greater understanding. Give them the faith to obey your commands in this. Root us in the love of Christ. There's another effective prayer that we can pray that God loves to answer here is this mature us in godliness see look how the how verse 19 ends right he says and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge and here's here's the next that you may be filled with all the fullness of god 
Now, what does that mean? And how do like? And I, I think maybe this is just like my adolescent mind working. I'm like, fill us with all the fullness of God. Does that make us God? Are we going to like explode because God is infinite? And he, like, how can we contain all this? How does it fill us up like this? You think like that? That's just an open window into the inner thoughts of a pastor's study. How may we be filled? The foundation is love. Then we're filled with godliness. We're filled with his presence here. It's a theme here. It's, it's this theme that we've seen of being filled by and growing in godliness. Ultimately, that's what he's getting at here, that we might be filled. Remember this, this concept here, right? To be filled is like, think of it like a sailboat. We have sails. The sails are filled with wind, and they stand still. No? As sails on a sailboat get filled with wind, what does it do? Moves them forward. It, 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 it dominates the direction and everything else about, uh, about the boat. It, it can be contained. It can be manipulated to move in the same way here. It, we are being filled with the presence of or the characteristics of God. And so the more we grow in our understanding, the more we mature in our faith, we are, are, are then defined by it and characterized by it in these moments. And this is ultimately what we're praying for in, in one another, right? Why, why is it the theme here of maturing and growing in godliness uh, the, something that we've touched on every week in these one another's? It's because this is the point of our uncommon community, why God brings us together to grow us, to transform us in faith as we grow in our or mature in our godliness. We are maturing forever, always, with a, a greater understanding of and obedience to God. We're being matured and multiplied, and so that's why we pray this way for one another. As, as these requests are brought to you, as you see a brother or sister in a, in a situation, you're praying, God, would you mature them in godliness through it? God, as, as, as this brother is being deployed, would you mature their marriage uh, in, in, in their time away from one another? And the cost that this will uh, may uh, bring about to their family. God, as, as this a student starts this new uh, semester, would you grow her in character even more than in academics? You're praying for, for maturity in this way. God, for these parents, as they add this kid to their family, fill them with your spirit for what they need despite the sleep that they are missing out on. God, would you mature them in this season? Fill them with all the fullness of God. These are effective prayers that God loves to answer in these ways. There's a fifth one because we love these verses, right? We love verses 20 and 21 as we're praying, God, be glorified through us. Not only would you mature us and not so you mature us so we can pat ourselves on the back to be say like, look how holy we are. Look how great we are. But God, would you be glorified in this church and in these people? And now here's the reality. I love how he, he, he culminates the prayer into this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Right? Because maybe even as we've been uh, uh, looking at the previous verses here, maybe some of these things just seem so impossible to you to even ask. Like, yeah, unite those people. That's never going to happen. Brutus and love, give them the strength in no way. They, they have a history of always bailing, being unfaithful. 
And sometimes we're praying like we're asking for something so unlikely, God. And yet, church, that's the point of prayer. He is infinitely capable of more. Our imagination is limited. His ability is not. Everything, Lord, I, you know, you begin to pray, Lord, I know this is a big ask. It's like, no, it's not. Try me. You begin to pray, like, Lord, I don't know how this is, uh, is even possible, but the Lord's like, I do. I know how this could be possible. We just need to ask for the impossible sometimes. And the crazy part through all this is, he, is what Paul is like honing in on here is that that same ability is what is at work in us right now. We who follow Christ, if you're a believer right now, the spirit at work in you, that same impossible ability is at work in you right now to sanctify you and to mature you in godliness. That's the connection here. According to the power at work within us. You're like, wait, the work is impossible? Yeah, to save and to sanctify you, to grow you in the faith, that's impossible. But it did not stop the Lord, right? He could do the impossible work of saving you and shaping our sin-hardened hearts in this way. He can surely do the work we are asking Him to do as we pray for one another in these situations. The person that you think will never come to salvation. You've been sharing Jesus with them for decades. Don't give up. And thinking about that possibility, doesn't that just lead us to worship? That's why he ends. He writes in that way, according to the power of work within us, thinking about the God of impossibilities that we serve, that we are praying and asking to, knowing that that work is at me because I'm in progress and I'm growing in these things as well. God is doing this impossible work in me. He can do it there. And so when we pray to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Right? In all of these things, as we think about what God is doing in this, we pray, God, you get the glory for all this and may that church may that forever be true within these walls within this uncommon community that this church redemption would be a place where God's glory is forever on display and how we pray and how we see God answering our prayers may it be may it be about him his glory for one another his glory in this church here because that's what he's praying for it's like where his presence is that's where his glory is that's where the change that we're asking to happen that's where the things that are impossible to happen and 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 make this connection here it's and it's this very thing that makes our family this church this group of people distinct from any other in the world it is god's presence his membership is the one that matters His presence here makes all the difference. And we have that spiritual element, and that's why we pray. That's why as we confess our sin, that's why as things are happening, why we don't turn to our own solutions, our own wisdom, we first turn to the Lord and His direction, His wisdom, His healing, His way of escape, and that's what leads us forward. That's where he gets the glory through it all and not us. Where no one can pat us on the back for our strength, our wisdom, our brilliance in all of this. We're just simply taking it to the Lord in prayer. 
So what I've given you are just these things from this prayer, just five kind of broad topics of ways to pray effective, biblically robust prayers for one another. And I want us to do that now, to spend some time in the Lord's house, a house of prayer, praying and calling on God to come through on his promises. Praying and asking God to come through and do this work that he can only do in us and through us and in the people next to us. And so if, if you're new with us here, uh, we're, we're, what we're really going to do, we're just going to pick up the lifeline and we're going to pray. <laughs> And we're going to close here in our service by just uh, singing some and praying some. I'm going to stay here on the stage, and we're, we're going to sing a couple closing songs. And those are meant to propel us to prayer. And uh, we'll have some, uh, some prompts on the screen as we just take some moment to pray for ourselves, to pray with the people that we've come with um, or the people around us and just like smaller groups that we can share uh, our requests. Or maybe you know these things already. And let's spend this time uh, calling on the Lord, praying for one another and watching God move and work amongst us as he sees fit to answer these according to his will. And, you know, maybe today, maybe in the weeks, maybe years down the line, but let's call on God to do what only he can do. Let me pray to get us started and then we'll sing and go from there. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are as your people amazed at uh, the glory of who you are, amazed at your invitation in, amazed that you would invite us, despite us, to know you, to love you, and to serve one another around us through praying. Oh, what an indescribable gift that we have, that we have your attention. We have your affection. We have this access to you. And so lead us in this, God. Lead us, teach us how to pray. Teach us, uh, make us a praying people, humble and dependent on you. Would you see fit now even to answer these prayers and pray these things now in the strong name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>